Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday of a holiday week. Happy Thanksgiving. Are you all set? Are you ready to go to grandma's? (laughs) I think we all are. I think we all need a huge break. So Thanksgiving can't come fast enough this week, right? This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Check me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. You can also reach me by email at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Again, Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Okay, Thursday is Thanksgiving, but you know what, guys? We never take a break here on the Monica Crowley Podcast because the country needs saving. And so we work pretty much around the clock. The only time we're not working to save our country is when we're sleeping. And even then, I'm dreaming up new and creative ways to save the country we all love. So we are working this week. And on Thursday's show, on Thanksgiving, I have a huge show lined up for you guys. Tomorrow, November 22nd, marks the 60th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. I've said on this show that all government secrets eventually become exposed The truth always comes out eventually. Sometimes it comes out immediately. Sometimes it takes a long time, but it usually almost always comes out, except in the one case, the one, actually two cases, the Kennedy assassination and Watergate. And oh, what do they both have in common? The deep state. So the deep state really has worked hard over many decades to keep the reality, the truth about those two episodes, the removal of two American presidents who were duly elected, one by assassination, one through scandal that was essentially set up to remove Richard Nixon. The deep state, the uni party, the system has worked really hard to bury the truth about both of those episodes because they know that if the American people knew the truth about how those presidents were removed by the shadowy dark forces where the real power in this country lies, that there would be a revolution. So they have spent 50, 60 years burying the truth about uh, JFK, about Watergate, Uh, But slowly, the truth is beginning to come out with new research on both uh, instances in this country, both tragedies, really. So on Thursday, we are going to mark the 60th anniversary of the JFK assassination by taking apart what we know in 2023 about that fateful day 60 years ago, November 22nd, 1963, before my time. Maybe not before your time, maybe you do remember it, but we are going to really take it apart um, and ask some very, very tough questions. And we're going to be joined for the entire show by the one and only Roger Stone. Roger Stone, who has been an advisor and confidant to every Republican president since Richard Nixon, and who wrote an entire book about the Kennedy assassination, unearthing a lot of new research and facts and documents. He wrote a book called Who Killed Kennedy? So he's got his own theory. We're going to talk about that theory, but we're going to talk about a lot more. 
because that day from from everything we know from the history books and beyond a lot of unanswered questions still remain all these years later and why didn't president trump release the kennedy documents hmm why did his secretary of state mike pompeo say no when he was at the cia no no we're not going to release any of that why We're going to ask some very tough questions on Thursday. This is a show you are not going to want to miss. You shouldn't miss any of the Monica Crowley podcast shows. But Thursday, you're going to have the entire holiday weekend to listen and then re-listen to Thursday's show about the Kennedy assassination. Very, very big show lined up for you for the holiday and the holiday weekend. All right, next week, we also have some big shows lined up. We're going to talk to Julie Kelly the OG of the January 6th Fed surrection and champion of the unjustly imprisoned and prosecuted January 6th defendants. She has been on this show several times. She is extraordinary. She was out there fighting for, for these defendants, these nonviolent grandmas from Indiana. She was out there fighting for them long before anybody else, and she was pretty much by herself in the prison going to talk to these people, going sitting in their court cases, in their hearings. Now other people are covering the case, but Julie Kelly was really the first, and she is wonderful. She is going to be here with the latest from the January 6th tapes, where we just got a portion of these tapes, thanks to a new speaker. Um, She's going to be here with her analysis of these J6 tapes, what we have learned from them, and what we now know about the Fed surrection. She's going to join us. Also next week, we're going to be joined by the fantastic and fun Chicks on the Right. These girls are fantastic, and we're going to have some good conversation, good laughs with them. Plus, we've got all kinds of big guests lined up for the weeks ahead. So please tune in for every show, because you don't want to miss a minute of it. Uh, Today, we're going to be joined by the one and only MTG, Marjorie Taylor Greene. MTG, the OG of America First, after Donald Trump, of course. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's really a heroine of the Republic. She's going to be here. She's got a brand new book called MTG. So she's going to join us, talk about January 6th. We're going to talk about Kevin McCarthy. She was always a close ally of his and fought for him to stay. We're going to ask her about that. Got a lot of things to talk to her about the border, her impeachment articles against Mayorkas and Garland and and Biden and where all of that stands. I can't wait to talk to her. She's amazing. So she's going to join us. But first, the Monica memo. Complete meltdown on the left. There are so many moving parts to this meltdown on the left, and it's actually delicious to see. So as we describe the meltdown on the left here with a couple of different things coming at them and coming at us, understand that they never take defeat lying down. They never take bad news lying down. They never just like shrug like Ronna McDaniel and like, oh, well, we lost again. They do not do that. So keep that in mind. Um, First thing, meltdown on the left. Elon Musk is suing the vile, dishonest, despicable Media Matters. 
This was originated and funded by George Soros and then taken up by the vile character, David Brock, who began as a conservative and then became very close to Bill and Hillary Clinton and began doing their dirty work and then expanded his little empire uh, with a lot of big money coming in by creating Media Matters and some other organizations. Media Matters is disgusting. All they do is lie about people on the right, uh, even people in the middle. They make up stories. They pull quotes without context. They are despicable. Elon Musk even tweeted the other day, media matters is evil. And it certainly is. I mean, even he's using the word evil, which I'm very happy to see because this is this whole thing is a spiritual battle, as we talk about here on this show all the time. So apparently, Media Matters uh, joined with other left wingers in wanting to destroy Elon Musk by painting him as an anti-Semite because he had responded to someone else's tweet And his response was considered anti-Semitic, or at least encouraging anti-Semitism. Now, there are so many people, including the big hedge fund guy, Bill Ackman, who has been all over the actual anti-Semites on our college campuses, pulling his money from Harvard and and elsewhere. And he has come forward and said, Elon Musk is not an anti-Semite. Remember, this is what the left does. The left weaponizes charges like racist, bigot, homophobe, Islamophobe, anti-Semite. They weaponize those labels when those labels do not apply, but of course they don't care about the truth. They weaponize the labels to marginalize, discredit, and ultimately destroy and cancel you. And this is what they were trying to do with Musk. So Musk had responded to somebody else's his tweet. And later he came forward when he saw the firestorm and he said, no, no, I was referring to the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL, which is chock-a-block with leftists and communists who have attacked Elon Musk relentlessly. And so his war was with the ADL and remains with the ADL. Well... Once the anti-Semitism charge or any charge like that sticks, well, and you've got a business like Twitter, you had big companies like Disney and Apple and others saying, we're going to temporarily pause our advertising on X, on Twitter, um, because we don't want to be in bed with Musk if he's an anti-Semite. Okay, so you see how all this works. Take one step back. All of this went down literally within a day or so of the Chinese communist president Xi Jinping having been at the APEC summit in San Francisco, having met with Tim Cook of Apple and a bunch of other CEOs whom Xi Jinping owns, apparently, along with our president. So within a day or so of Xi Jinping meeting with these people and holding court in San Francisco, surrounded by the Chinese flag with not an American flag in sight, suddenly there is a coordinated attack on Elon Musk. Musk, by the way, does plenty of business in China. And people like our friend Steve Bannon is all over Uh, Musk for uh, kissing up to the CCP and Xi Jinping because Tesla is there and he does big business there and he refuses to condemn the CCP and all of that. And yet, (laughs) 
And yet, certainly looks like a coordinated effort to undermine and destroy Musk shortly after the Chinese president is there talking to many of these people. Nothing is a coincidence, guys, right? So Media Matters then picks up their part of the equation, and they began to falsely claim that X slash Twitter was allowing ads to run next to pro-Nazi content. So they filed this, this report, and Musk is saying, what are you talking about? This is not true. It turns out, apparently, from what's being reported, that Media Matters fraudulently created this this situation, which actually didn't exist, and the head of X, uh, not Musk, but his head of advertising, Linda Yaccarino, tweeted this as well, that what Media Matters was alleging was not true, and in fact, they had falsified it by creating a number of accounts and then tried to show that like the the um, anti-Semitic pro-Nazi content was showing up next to like Apple's ads. And of course, Apple would be horrified. They don't want their ads next to this kind of content. Turns out apparently and allegedly that Media Matters made it all up. And people have tried to recreate what Media Matters said that they saw and nobody's been able to recreate it because it's allegedly fake. So they engaged in fraud. So Musk turns around and slapped them yesterday with what he calls a thermonuclear lawsuit. And I could not be more happy. Okay, let me just say, I am so thrilled by this. I I cannot even express. I want Elon Musk to pulverize the vile liars at Media Matters. Everybody on the left in the media, they just keep lying because there are no consequences. Very few people sue. And if they do sue, they run out of money because these big companies, NBC, Universal, um, ABC, owned by Disney, these media companies have all the resources in the world to fight you. And a team of lawyers whose job it is just to fight you. So if you're Joe Blow and you've been defamed by Media Matters or whatever, and they've lied about me in the past, of course, trying to smear me and everybody else who's trying to tell the truth in this country, they've got all the the resources in the world to fight you. So very few people stand up and sue, say, NBC. But they picked on the wrong guy. This time they picked on the wrong guy because Elon Musk actually does have all the resources in the world to match them and beyond and destroy them for lying about him and hurting his business. Tortious interference, where they've engaged in alleged deception and fraud and have uh, monkeyed with his business by interfering with his advertising revenue. Mm. Looks to me, and I'm no lawyer, but looks to me like he has a mighty fine case. And again, all the money in the world to keep it going. More good news from us. Guess what? The judge uh, appointed to oversee this high-profile lawsuit filed by Musk against Media Matters is uh, a judge who was appointed by Donald Trump. (laughs) So the lawsuit was filed very smartly in the Northern District of Texas, the Fort Worth Division, And the judge in the case is Mark Pittman, 
who's appointed by Trump, and he's got a history of rulings favorable to conservative causes. He is actually the judge who ordered the FDA to release the Pfizer files when Pfizer wanted to bury the COVID-19 data um, for, I think, 75 years. Uh, They just didn't want to produce the data because it was all, you know, sus as the kids say. Well, Judge Pittman demanded a swifter disclosure from Pfizer, mandating that 55,000 pages of data be made public per month. And those Pfizer files, our friend Naomi Wolf and her team over at at, uh, Clout, they've been writing books about this because they've been combing through the Pfizer data, and it's not good. So this is uh, a very good judge. He also blocked Biden's uh, student loan forgiveness plan, which was completely unconstitutional, has been struck down time and again, but he was one of the judges that struck it down. He's been very good on guns and the Second Amendment. So Judge Pittman is going to oversee this trial (laughs) every once in a while, guys. We get lucky. And in this case, I think we're pretty lucky. Here, So we will certainly see how that goes. Speaking of filing lawsuits against the media, you know who else did it yesterday? Donald J. Trump. He filed a massive lawsuit against NBC and a bunch of other networks for lying about him for defamation. And again, Trump has pretty substantial resources, too. So we need these big guns like Trump and Musk to stand up to these companies because you and I can't. We don't have the money. We don't have the resources. We don't have the ability to go the distance when these kinds of massive organizations lie about us. So we need the Musks and the Trumps of the world to stand up and do it for all of us. And thank God they're doing it. All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk more about the left in absolute meltdown, including looking at these polls, Biden's birthday yesterday, and the loss of a couple of celebrities. Sit tight. Okay, welcome back. Another reason why the left is in absolute meltdown here is because they're taking a look at these polls. And, you know, polls can be very unreliable, as we have seen in the last couple of election cycles. But when you get poll after poll after poll, including polls from very reliable sources like Rasmussen, for example, all showing the same trend lines, all showing essentially the same data, you have to start to think that the polls are beginning to actually accurately capture where the American public is. And so now, when it comes to the Republican primary race, I've said time and again, this race is over. It's been over since at least March of this year. Um, There was a period of time when DeSantis was Mm, you know, not not even close to Trump, but he was much higher in the polling than where he is now. He's actually fallen to fourth or fifth in New Hampshire, way, way behind in, in Iowa. So whatever is going on is like a race for a very distant second, okay, um, to Trump. But now the polling is just like off the charts for Trump. He is leading DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and the rest of the crew by 50 or even 60 points. There was a poll released yesterday, Harvard-Harris, 
Okay, so not exactly, and no, not Kamala Harris, but the actual Harvard. Harvard Harris poll of the GOP race shows Trump at 67% of the electorate, the GOP electorate. Um, Ron DeSantis at nine, Nikki Haley at eight, Vivek Ramaswamy at five, uh, Christie just way, way behind, everybody else way behind. Donald Trump up seven to 10 points on Joe Biden. So he is leading the GOP field by 60 points. And now this poll shows, uh, and other polls as well, show him, including a new one released today that shows Trump over Biden by seven points. But the ABC poll, remember uh, the ABC poll was released mm, a couple of weeks ago and it showed Trump over Biden by a whopping 10 points. And the left just was like, totally dismissive of it. Oh, it means nothing. Um, uh, you know, it's, this is an outlier, you know, this is uh, way too early. The data was all skewed. Well, now polling after polling is showing Trump leading Biden, you know, some cases by one point, some by two, some by four, some by seven or 10. Um, so clearly Trump has the edge. And yesterday Trump took to true social And he wrote this, great polls just released, best ever. (laughs) So Trumpian, right? Best ever. Uh, Harvard Harris, and he puts out some of the data. And then he says, RNC, the Republican National Committee, must save money on lowest ever ratings debates, meaning these GOP debates are, the audience has just completely fallen away. Nobody wants to see them. And then Trump said, uh, use it, meaning the money, use it against the Democrats to stop the steal. If not, revamp the RNC now. So that's Trump's first shot across the bow to the RNC chairwoman, who he has long supported, Ronna McDaniel, but she has just racked up loss after loss over many years, doesn't seem to be doing much of anything in the states to make sure that the left can't steal the election next year. Um, So Trump is now saying, he's putting her on, on warning, you better pull back, you know, I think the GOP is doing one more debate, December 6th. Again, nobody will watch. No one cares. Trump is so far ahead. This primary is over. Uh, So Trump is saying, pull back on this huge waste of money that nobody cares about and take that money and these resources and make sure that the Democrats cannot steal yet another election. So Rana is on notice from the actual leader of the party, Donald Trump. Trump also had a very good uh, day when he went down to the border earlier this week. I don't know if you guys saw the images. Maybe not because the left media just buried them. But he was down at the southern border in Texas and he served a Thanksgiving meal to Border Patrol. And these brave men and women who are just fighting against this absolute tsunami of illegal immigrants coming in thanks to Joe Biden, um, they're, they're working so hard. They feel like their work doesn't matter. They're not getting support from the White House or the administration. They are bone tired. They're doing their best, but they're, they're fighting an absolute tidal wave. So Trump goes down there. He uh, did a tour of that section of the border, talked about the need for the wall, and then he gave these people just absolute love and support, and they gave it right back to him. All of the photos, Border Patrol, these agents with huge smiles, taking selfies, and then Trump served them all Thanksgiving dinner. That is a president 
That is leadership. And you know what? It's servant leadership. Watching Trump put turkey on these guys and, and these women's plates, making sure they had enough gravy, joking with them, shaking their hands, taking selfies. That, my friends, is servant leadership, which is what the founders wanted and envisioned for this country, that the American people would set their normal lives aside for a while and go serve their fellow Americans, serve their fellow Americans, not serve themselves. Beautiful images of Donald Trump. While he was down there, he got a big endorsement. The Texas governor, uh, Greg Abbott, endorsed Donald Trump. Abbott said, we need a president who will defend the nation's security and keep America safe. Indeed. And he also got, uh, Trump got the um, endorsement of Senator Roger Marshall, who's also an MD. He's been on this show. Wonderful guy. Endorsed Trump as well. So um, this is pretty much zipped up here. Uh, <laughs> GOP primary is over. Democrat primary, on the other hand, has not even begun. And the reason I say that is because it's clearly they're, they're ramping up on the left to ditch Joe Biden. Um, Joe Biden had his 81st birthday yesterday, and in typical Biden creep demented form, he was at an event, I think it was the turkey pardoning event, where he bolted. He had the two turkeys pardon them, and then like inexplicably just like bolted. Maybe he had to go to the bathroom. You know, men and their prostates after a certain age, I don't know, but inexplicably just like left the event. Um, and Jill was there, whatever. Um, but while he was still there before he bolted, he sees this little girl, six or seven years old in the audience. And he walks over to her to tell her he loves her ears. Listen. Thank you. Thank you. And I love your ears. I love them. They're really cool. What's your name? Catherine. Catherine, what a beautiful name. That's my mommy's name. Well, nice to see. How old are you, 17? Six. I love your ears. I mean, this guy has always been extremely creepy, especially with little kids. Um, But it's getting worse. And as people get more and more advanced dementia, that kind of thing actually does get worse. It never gets better. So, you know, he really didn't want to mark his birthday. The White House didn't want to mark his birthday yesterday because they didn't want to remind everybody that the man is 81. There is young old, you know, we we know people, I'm sure you do too, people in their 80s and 90s who are spry and energetic. That's not Joe. Joe at 81 is old, old. And this kind of demented behavior You know, guys, people are really focused on that, and they should be. But the bigger issue is twofold. One, his absolute corruption, the fact that he is totally compromised by China, Ukraine, our worst kind of enemies, the most corrupt regimes. He is deeply corrupt, as is his family, and therefore he is compromised and cannot represent the United States in a way that we need from a president. And two, his catastrophic policies that are destroying the country and the lives of all of us. From the economy to the open border to fentanyl to cities in collapse, the collapse of law and order, the whole thing. 
Those are the two things that the American people really need to focus on. Yes, his age and dementia are a serious concern, but the bigger concerns are his deep corruption and his catastrophic policies. Focus on that. You know who else is focused on that? Young people, because they don't see a future. So they are falling away from Joe Biden. Uh, Recent poll, this is New York Times, Siena College. Again, not exactly bastions of conservatism. They released a poll this week showing Trump leading Biden by four points among voters aged 18 to 34. So the youngest voters, voters of Gen Z, are not happy with Joe Biden. Again, because they don't really see a prosperous and hopeful future in front of them. But I also think a big part of this is they are so anti-Israel that they cannot stand. I think it was like 75% of these younger voters disapprove of the way Biden is handling the war. And of course, Biden is trying to have it both ways on Israel and Hamas. But these younger people who have been so indoctrinated and are carrying a lot of anti-Semitism don't like that he actually stood up for Israel, at least at the start. So they're falling away from Biden, not for the right reason, but they're falling away from him. And if they don't turn up next year, going to be a huge problem for Biden if he is, in fact, the nominee, or for the Democrats writ large, okay? Um, This poll also showed that 22% of black voters prefer Trump over Biden. The black voters called Biden weak. I'm telling you, you know, a lot of people like Jessica Charloff, they're like, oh, there's no way Trump is getting 22% of the black vote. Okay, maybe, maybe not. But even if it's slightly elevated, and Trump got a record number of black voters the last uh, time around, for sure, and that scared the bejesus out of the left. Again, the left in meltdown, because they're seeing these numbers too. But if it's even elevated, maybe not 20%, maybe it's 16% of the black vote, 14 15%, I don't know, but that would be absolutely catastrophic for the left and they know it. All of the Democrat policies, whether it's at the national level or the local level, people are living this every day, afraid to walk down the street because crime is out of control, services being cut, taxes higher, inflation, can't afford groceries, can't afford to fill up your car. People are getting squeezed. And the people getting squeezed the most are the working class, the poor, and the middle class. But you know what? Even the wealthy are starting to notice it because their quality of life is going down. Cardi B, the rapper who was born in the Bronx and still lives in New York, she was a big supporter of Joe Biden. Remember, she talked to Joe Biden. They did some sort of podcast, I think, for Elle magazine. And then she endorsed him and told all of her fans to go vote for, for the old guy. Well, yesterday, she took to her social media and she put out an absolutely fire-breathing video. In fact, it looks like in the video, she had just gotten out of bed. She's in a robe and she's in like a satin uh, sleep cap to protect her hair. So she didn't even bother getting dressed. She was so mad that she just like clicked on her camera and she was like, yo, y'all need to listen to this and share this video. Go look at it. It's all over Twitter. 
But yesterday she put up this video and she warned, she warned people like, if something happens to me, I'm not suicidal. Something has happened to me because I'm about to tell the truth. And here's what she said for some context. Uh, Mayor Adams in New York City, where she lives, has announced $120 million in deep budget cuts to things like education, sanitation, and the NYPD, the police force, because it cannot uh, absorb all of these illegal immigrants that have come into the city and continue to provide all these services. They need to move money away from the services for actual New Yorkers and Americans to accommodate and pay for Joe Biden's massive tsunami of illegal immigrants. Cardi B, not having it. Listen. Crimes are going to go up the roof. The crimes are going to go up the roof because because there's there's a, there's a, uh, a police safety budget cut and on top of that there's a sanitation budget cut so that means we're gonna be drowning in rats drowning in rats <laughs> she really she focused on the sanitation part of it as well as the the safety part and the education part but she really honed in on the the cuts to the sanitation department she's like y'all we're gonna be drowning in rats We're already in the city of New York drowning in rats, and it's going to get worse. When you have lost Cardi B, you have lost America. This is exactly the kind of thing that the left is absolutely freaking out about. And it gets to Reagan's question. In fact, one of these polls... Uh, showed that when voters were asked about whether or not the state of the economy was going to play a major role for them next year, 89% said yes. And we all know what the economy is under Joe Biden. It is horrific. The same poll found that 50% of Americans say that they are worse off today than before November of 2020 when Trump was still in office in the middle of COVID. Only 21% said that they are better off today. So this harkens back to Reagan's classic question after four years of Jimmy Carter. And and Rosalind Carter, rest in peace. She passed away a couple of days ago. But Reagan posed the question in 1980 during that election, are you better off today than you were four years ago? And because the answer was so resoundingly clear back then, Reagan won in a landslide. Same question applies today. Are you better off today than you were three years ago? The answer is obviously not. All of this spells disaster for Joe Biden and the Democrats. And that's why you have Barack Obama via David Axelrod, Maureen Dowd, so many big voices on the left going, "Mm, don't think that Biden's going to make it. Don't think he should make it. Step down. More and more voices, but the clock is running down here, guys. This is Thanksgiving week, uh, the year before the election. So now, less than a year before this election, they don't have much time. Of course, with the left, they don't care about the rules, so they could literally wait until the day before the election. (laughs) I'm exaggerating, but not by much, to replace Joe Biden, okay? All right, let's hit another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia. I'm so excited to talk to her. Going to talk to her about her new book, January 6th, Impeachment of Biden, Garland, and Mayorkas, which she is all leading. We're going to talk to her about a lot of stuff. Can't wait, so sit tight. 
Well, I can't tell you how happy I am to have back with us today Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. She represents Georgia's 14th Congressional District, and we all know her as a fierce warrior for the Constitution and American freedom. Many times, she is the only one on Capitol Hill out there swinging to save this country. And man, does she take a lot of incoming as a result. But she is totally fearless, and that's one of the many reasons why we respect and love her so much. She's got a brand new book out today. It is called MTG. What better title? MTG. You can find it at mtgbook.com. And it is such a pleasure to welcome her back. Hi, Congresswoman. Hi, Monica. Thanks for having me on. It's great to talk to you. Well, it is such a pleasure to talk to you again as well. And congratulations on this new book. Again, it's called MTG. You can get it at mtgbook.com. Go pick it up. It is just, it's a firecracker of a book and it's going to make a great gift for everybody you know uh, in your family as the holidays come up. And I just want to say to you again that you are such a heroine to so many Americans who watch your courage and pushing back against the Democrat communist cartel and all of the attacks you take as a result of that, just like President Trump, your colleague Matt Gates, and, and so many others who stand up for this. So we're just very grateful for you. Well, thank you. It's it's worth fighting for. Well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I want to get into your book because it's fascinating. And one of the first questions I have for you is, where does all of this fearlessness come from? Because there are so many in the uni party who are absolutely terrified to take a stand because they're worried about what the deep state might do to them, or they're worried about what the New York Times might say about them. You have none of that. Where does that come from? Uh, it just comes uh, really based on my faith in God and my belief in America and the freedoms that we're given. And, you know, I'm unapologetically American. And I, I, I ran for Congress, Monica, because I was mad at Republicans. That is honestly why. I know who the Democrats are. I, I believe what they say. And I, I can stand against everything that they do. But I am tired of Republicans allowing the Democrats to do it. They never hold anyone accountable. They never follow through on what they promise. And I'm fed up with it. And I ran for Congress for that reason. And, and so I didn't come to Washington uh, to enjoy my time at the Capitol Hill Club and go to the fancy parties and the and the lobbyist events, I, I really I really came there to force the Republican Party to do what they say, and, and that is um, to stop the Democrats' destruction of America. And we we don't, we don't have much time left. We we all know how bad it is, and so um, you know I, I attack Republicans just as much as I do Democrats and. And, and I really want them to do better. I really do. And that that comes with me saying I also have supported many Republican candidates. So I'm trying to get people elected. I'm trying to keep our majority. But at the same time, I want accountability for our own party. You know, I have often said that it, it, the, the uni party Republicans who join with the Democrats in the destruction of our country are actually worse than the left, because at least the AOCs of the world tell you exactly who they are, what they believe and what they intend to do, and then they do it. But the people on our side who will lie straight up to our faces and say, yeah, I'm for fiscal responsibility and limited government and, and protecting the American people and the Constitution and individual freedom— and then they vote the other way, they're worse. 
Marjorie, they are worse because that they are pulling a deception on the American people. And that's why we need warriors like you to call out our own side. That's right. It, it is so true. That's why I wrote my book. You know, when I came into Congress in January 2021, the the media attacked me so harshly. They basically created a character of me that doesn't exist and and uh, sold it across the country like 24 seven. Um, you know, so I wrote my book uh to peel back the curtain and let people see an inside look at, at here's the good things. Here's the bad things. Um, here's who I really am. Here's what I'm working on. I named some names of some of my colleagues that people would be shocked. Uh, do not support uh, important issues that I think are so important, uh, such as my protect children's innocence act, a bill that would stop transgender surgeries on children, you know, mastectomies and castration, um, the, I, th- I think the book is a great read, especially for the holidays. If people get a copy at mtgbook.com, I really hope that they, they enjoy reading it and, and put it in the stockings. It's a great stocking stuffer as well. Well, I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy. Um, and I, it is just blockbuster. It really, it reads like a novel. <laughs> Sometimes it's an absolute page turner because you cannot believe the reality of what we are dealing with on Capitol Hill. What shot? you the most uh, when you got there? Because, you know, to me, you are the exact ideal of what the founding fathers wanted as a representative of the people in Congress, because you were out there living your life, a law-abiding American citizen, building a successful business, raising a family, and you saw what was going on and you said, I got I to gotta step up here. The founders wanted citizen leaders, and that's exactly what you are. But then you get to Washington what shocked you the most about how it works? What shocked me the most is what a disaster it really is. Mm-hmm. And I, it is, this is why we're over $33 trillion in debt because Congress is so broken. Um, not only broken, but, but it's, it's run by people that aren't qualified. Uh, many of them I wouldn't even hire in my own construction company. I, you just you just wouldn't believe how unqualified these people are. And many people that are there for the wrong reasons. Uh, they're there just to get reelected every two years so they can keep the salary and the position and the title and the power. Uh, not not to actually change anything or to to make it better for Americans. And that that was the most shocking, disgusting thing to me is I, I just had expected so much more and was extremely disappointed in that. It's like the old movie, the classic Mr. Smith goes to Washington with Jimmy Stewart, and you know you kind of show up, maybe not with stars in your eyes, but at least some sense of idealism about the country and, and representing and walking. When you first walk up those white stairs of the Capitol, it's a real source of pride. And then you get there, and you realize that the corruption is so deep and widespread, and it's across the board, right? Yes, that is exactly, exactly right. Such a good description, Monica. Um, you, you basically nailed it. And uh, not only corruption, but, but really people just aren't qualified. Uh, oftentimes I'm like, how did these people get elected? It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and, I, and I really hope more capable, more qualified people actually do start running for not only for Congress, but also at their local level, because oftentimes Local politics can be more important than than on the federal level, uh, but we, we we need real successful people to get in there, and that's why we love President Trump 
because he's a he is a made man. He's successful, and um, we we need people that know how to solve problems and have have a record of doing them in their ordinary, regular, everyday life and businesses, and can take the those experiences uh, to government. That's what I've done um, from from my previous business experience, and I, and I hope we get more people in there because we certainly need it. Oh, amen to that. Uh, you write in MTG about how you've taken on and continue to take on the Uni Party and the Deep State and expose them. And you open the book with January 6th. We have just gotten a, a load, thanks to the new speaker, Mike Johnson. We've gotten, what, 40,000 hours of surveillance tapes from that day. Where were you that day? And what do we now know about the actual Fed surrection that took place to frame President Trump and the rest of us as domestic terrorists? Well, actually, we got to make a correction there. We've only gotten 90 hours of the 44,000. So that was 90 hours that were just released. Um, the portal has been built for months now um, that the people are able to watch videos on. I hope that the rest of the videos do come out, but it has taken a really long time. Uh, Speaker Johnson, uh, I'll give him credit for releasing those 90 hours, but he didn't get that built. That, that actually had been going on. Um, what I want to see happen is, while more videos hopefully come out, uh, we, we need a January 6th select committee that actually digs in basically investigates the investigators. We need to hold the original January 6th committee accountable. We need to hold Nancy Pelosi accountable. We need to hold the FBI. We need subpoenas on the FBI. We need subpoenas on other federal agencies, um, D.C. police. Uh, we, we need to know exactly who was there, what they were doing, and what their role was on January 6th, whether it was good or bad or, or causing it. Um, you know, and it, it may not be the federal government. It could be an outside funded group. It could be a foreign country. But we need to know. And and the biggest person I want to see held accountable on January 6th is Nancy Pelosi. She was Speaker of the House. Her job as Speaker of the House, one of them is security of the Capitol. And not only did she allow that to happen, I think she intentionally allowed it to happen because she wanted to stop what Congress was doing. And we had powerful objections going on to Joe Biden's electoral college votes, and she wanted to do anything she could to stop it. Mm -hmm. And I just, I want to remind everybody that you are one of very, very few members of Congress who actually went into the D.C. Gulag and continued to do so, to meet with these J6 defendants, the vast majority of whom were nonviolent that day. They were thrown into pretrial detention, no due process given to them. You have championed their cause. And in addition to everything you just laid out, I would like to see all of these J6 political prisoners uh, bounced out of jail right now and released. They, they, yes, all the nonviolent January 6th defendants and, and political prisoners do deserve to be released. People that have been thrown in jail for like eight, 17 to 22 years, and they weren't even at the Capitol that day. It's a, it is absurd. Um, it, it is, is the biggest travesty, one of the biggest travesties we've ever seen in our nation. And these people are truly suffering. Think about it. Here they are rotting in jail and no one on Jeffrey Epstein's client list has ever been outed, let alone prosecuted. Our government protects them, protected Jeffrey Epstein and protects his client list like no other. But they track down 
uh, grandmothers and veterans who walked through the Capitol on January 6th. And, you know, I tell that story about going in the D.C. gulag um, in my book in, in that chapter on January 6th because it's honestly one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen in my life. And, and it still haunts me uh, to this day because they're still there. Many of them are still there. And we just don't have enough Republicans and in, in Congress that actually care to, to change it and do anything about it. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's almost unspeakable. It really is. And I just want to thank you on behalf of everybody for championing their cause because you were out there uh, at the beginning when it was very difficult uh, for any Republican to to take on their cause. And you have. Uh, We just have about two more minutes with you, Congresswoman. Um, Politics. You've been a very close ally of former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Why did you fight for him to stay in his position? And what do you think about the new Speaker, Mike Johnson? Well, everybody forgets I spent over a year attacking Kevin McCarthy when I first came to Congress. Uh, <laughs> That's true. I, daily. I even called him feckless uh, at one point and <laughs> uh, attacked him nonstop. Um, I had been told by people in the Freedom Caucus and others that Kevin McCarthy was responsible for kicking me off of committees. Um, and, and then I found I had a conversation one day with Devin Nunes, and he told me it wasn't true because he was in the room when it happened and Kevin McCarthy had been screaming at Steny Hoyer uh, not to kick me off committees. And it shocked me. I couldn't believe that. I, I was, I had been told otherwise by people that weren't in the room, but just hate Kevin McCarthy and wanted me to hate him too. And so when no one, when I went around and asked other, I asked Steve Scalise, I asked Jim Jordan, I asked many others, are you going to run for speaker? All of them said no. And so going into our majority back in January of 20 of this year, you know, I was like, well, if Kevin McCarthy's the only one running, I, I really need to get to know him better, learn to work with him because I come from a professional background where you have to get things accomplished regardless of who you work with. And so I put that, you know, professional mindset on and uh, pursued getting to know him, getting, getting a relationship with him because, you know, no one else was running. And as we saw after 15 rounds in January, we elected Kevin McCarthy as speaker and even president Trump endorsed him. Don jr. Endorsed him. Our new speaker, Mike Johnson had endorsed him and voted for him. Um, So, you know, people always forget that everyone else was pretty much supporting him as well. And I got to tell you, um, good things done through his speakership. Uh, I was able to get the Ukraine money taken out of the defense appropriations bill with Kevin McCarthy. He actually listened to me and, and helped to make that happen. And we got an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden through Kevin McCarthy. He actually announced it without a floor vote. And I, I'm still thankful for that because I believe Joe Biden should be impeached. I introduced articles of impeachment on Joe Biden my first day in office. So there was, there was some really good things there that I think people unfairly forget about. And again, the portal that everyone's watching these videos, videos on that happened through the House admin uh, committee that Kevin McCarthy set up uh, with Barry Loudermilk. And, and Barry Loudermilk was working with Kevin McCarthy to get that done. Um, so I think there's been some unfairness there. I also supported Mike Johnson uh, as mm-hmm. speaker when we voted this time. Um, but, I, but I voted against his CR uh, that funded uh, Joe Biden's government with Nancy Pelosi's budget and Green New Deal funding, 
woke uh, climate garbage, uh, trans agenda in the military, um, funding the the continued wide open border. I just couldn't vote for that. Um, So I'm a person that judges people by their actions, not what you read on social media or people's, you know, fundraising emails that sound good to you. Um, So I encourage people to do the same thing. Still, he's he's early in a speakership. Um, so we'll see how it goes, but, but I'm going to be pushing him just as hard as I pushed Kevin McCarthy. Um, and I believe Republicans need to be held accountable no matter who they are. Well, we have to let you go, go back to fighting for America, Congresswoman, but you're leading the charge on the impeachments of Biden, Mayorkas, Garland, and we thank you so much for all the hard work you're doing. And I just want to say, I want everybody to know last year I was in Georgia, uh, campaigning for my friend Herschel Walker, and I was in your district, and you were absolutely beloved, beloved there and all across the country because you are America and Americans first. So thank you so much for fighting for all of us every single day. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, her brand new book out today is called MTG. Go get it at mtgbook.com. Makes a great gift for all the magas in your life and the Democrats too. Maybe they'll learn something. Congresswoman, thank you so much, my friend. Oh, thank you, Monica. Keep fighting and thank you for everything you do. You're so appreciated. Okay, another big show done. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me as always and for checking out our phenomenal sponsors. We all really appreciate that. Uh, Also, I just want to remind you, Thursday's show, I know Thursday is Thanksgiving. I want to wish you and yours a lovely holiday. I hope you eat a lot. Down those carbs. You know, the one day of the year, you can eat them guilt-free. Potatoes, stuffing, yams, uh, the pumpkin pie, all of it. Just indulge because this life is short. So enjoy your Thanksgiving with those you care about and love. Have a wonderful holiday weekend. I love this weekend so much. It's just so relaxing and and wonderful. So I hope you enjoyed as well and enjoy the huge show that I have for you coming up on Thursday on the Kennedy assassination and a big conversation with Roger Stone, not to be missed. Okay, I will see you on Thursday. Have a great beginning to your week. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Bayhockle Entertainment, LLC.